don't get me wrong. I love the written word. I love the spoken word. I'm a wordsmith myself, so I love words. But sometimes um, we can be so hard on ourselves with the stories that we tell, so hard on ourselves with the language that we use. Um, So I'm really into using words as empowerment with the language, um, with the movement, with the dance, which is why songs are so important. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Empower Yourself and Your Relationships Through Dance and Movement. And I have a conversation with Misa Terrell. And we talk about how dance and movement is a way to connect to our inner energies and therefore to connect with others. And also how emotions has its own frequency and it can be allowed to release through dance and movement and like the emotion of grief, for instance. And when we combine that with movement, you help the energy to move. We also talk about a sensory diet so that we can tune into our authentic selves and create equilibrium. And we talk about how Misa teaches dance in prisons, a nonprofit program called Dance To Be Free. See, I love this topic because I love to dance. And I would say that dance is one of my go-tos to feel authentic, to release emotion, to get back into the confidence of myself, um, how I relate to others, how I related to my wife when we first met and continue to have our language around dance. I think dance and movement is really important as a expression of ourselves and a language between people. So let me tell you a little bit more about Misa. Misa is the founder of Soul Power Dance, offering transformational classes for embodiment, joy, and self-healing. Her training as a licensed occupational therapist specializing in sensory integration, a certified death doula, and in nature-based spirituality, cultivated her unique style of teaching and empowering others. She facilitates programming for the nonprofit Dance to Be Free, taking the healing power of dance to prisons. And you can find her soon on a new website, soulpowerliving.com. And I'll have more information about Misa in my show notes. And I recently did a few months ago a podcast with her husband, Frederick Terrell, on gratitude. If you didn't listen to it, that's a great episode. So they are living here in Asheville, North Carolina, and I am enjoying getting to knowing them both. Okay, I'd like to get my appreciation practice going here and a few people that have donated to my podcast recently. I would like to thank Daniela in Australia 
and Kirsten in Denmark, and Stephanie right here in Asheville, North Carolina. Thank you so much for your recent donation. And those of you that have an inclining to support the podcast in a financial way, you can go to my website, prepo.com, click on the podcast page, another button to support the podcast with a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Well, I hope this podcast inspires you to do more dancing, more movement, to get that sense of embodiment in yourself and really see how that makes a difference in how you relate to people because I really, truly believe it will. And it is so freeing to just move our body and not be conscious of it. So, okay, everybody, yeah, let's dance. Put on your red shoes and dance the blues. Let's dance to the song we're playing on the radio. Let's sway under the moonlight, this serious moonlight. Let's dance. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody, here we go. My conversation with Misa on the empowering yourself and your relationships through dance. Let's dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I don't know if we're going to be talking about uh, the subject that we wanted to, or we're going to be talking about UFOs and ETs because we got so excited. People are in my studio, I have a nice uh, painting of a UFO situation, and we started geeking out a little bit about it. I can't help it. I'm, I'm looking right at it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this would be fun to talk about. Yeah, well... We'll do that maybe another podcast. That sounds good to me. Yeah. We'll bring all the geekers out. Cool. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit for the listeners out there, and even though the conversation is right now just between you and I, I would love for you to tell a little bit about your background and how you sure. got involved in, in dance. Sure. Um, I've always loved to dance. I've danced my whole life just, you know, in my parents' basement. And I remember green shed carpeting and I would dance all out to ABBA. And that was my favorite. Um, they were so inspiring and I love their music and their words. And so I would just dance until I dropped around seven, eight years old. And um, and then I kind of left it for a while. I've never been tra- professionally pra- trained or anything like that. Um, and then somewhere in my 40s, I came back to it. I had gone through a massive healing from a really debilitating eating disorder and done all the therapy. And I felt pretty centered and like I knew who I was. Uh, and then I started, you know, I love dance. I'm going to go take a dance class at the local gym. And then something happened in my body when I took that dance class. It was a, a reawakening of a part of me that I had forgotten. I felt so much freedom and so much aliveness. And so I hung on to that. I'm like, I want more of this freedom and aliveness. You know, my kids were young and I was at that point um, 
you know, staying at home with them. And so I was really looking for something for myself. And uh, so I started taking more dance classes and continued on that path to finding freedom. And then when we moved to, to Boulder, Colorado back in 2012, I found a dance class called Soul Sweat. And Soul Sweat allowed for you not to be a trained dancer. It just invited people who wanted to dance and feel emotion and connect in a synchronous way through movement and sound by using our breath and our voice. And it it sold me. Um, it changed my life from there mm. on out. And I started dancing in that way and started to notice other parts of my being he- beginning to heal. Um, like looking at myself in the mirror, self-judgment about maybe not doing the moves the way I wanted to do, do them. This class was about letting all of that go and finding yourself through love for yourself. And so one by one, these stories and these barriers I had about myself brought me to a wholeness in my healing. And I realized, oh, I had healed certain aspects of myself as far as behaviors and um, letting go of some of the the behaviors that the eating disorder had created in my body. But the dance brought me back to the love for myself in a way where I had more control. I started to love what I saw in the mirror and I started finding freedom and in using my voice and finding expression in my body in a way that felt so natural. And it would move me to tears, Hmm. tears of joy, um, tears of love. And then you'd start to connect with the people in the class because they were doing the same thing. And so then when you create a connection through the harmony of just movement and breath, then there's a bond that gets created. so I wanted to st- I wanted to do that. I wanted to bring that to people, and I also knew that it would heal another aspect of myself by being in front of people and leading them in this type of healing and expression. And so I became a teacher in 2015, and at the same time, concurrently, I had been really progressing on my spiritual path and really connecting to the divine through an earth-based way. And um, so those two healings happening at the same time created something in my classes where I would start to bring voice to connecting to spirit through movement and dance and using the language of frequency and energy and understanding that dance is actually a form of energy healing because we're releasing and removing energy without having to spend too much time in our heads thinking. Hmm. And so and so um, but then we moved to Asheville in the end of 2017 and I just continued that work here. And um, it has healed me continuously. I'm curious, how did it change? Do you remember the moments that it changed how you related to people when you had a stronger sense of yourself, more agency, more love for yourself? Yes. Is there a, is there a, um, a clarity of how that shifted for your relationships? Yes. Um, I feel when I started to accept myself unconditionally, 
when I started to give myself permission to mess it up and screw it up, and that's so much part of the language that I use in my classes, is just mess it up. And I still mess it up when I teach and we laugh about it because there's so much permission in just being who you are on that floor without there being an idea of performance or putting on a mask. And so when that permission really rooted into my body as a student, uh, that I believed opened up the portal for me to become a teacher because then I had to care less Hmm. about what other people thought. And that in itself is a whole education and training. Mm -hmm. Because then you're not allowing external circumstances to dictate how you feel and how you want to share in the world. And so that has just been a continual growth practice as an instructor and as a dancer and as a human. And it's informed my relationships. It's informed my spiritual practice, which in turn informs the dance. And it just really made me a nicer person <laughs> because I would use the dance to release anger, to release judgment, to release uh, fear. And I walk out of these classes feeling connected, connected to something outside of my brain, outside of my stories, and I develop more compassion for myself, mm. which in turn compassion to others and then I wasn't angry at the other drivers anymore <laughs> you know that was like always my gauge right. like if I'm driving and all of a sudden I feel anger towards some driver I'm like oh there's something I'm not addressing because mm-hmm. it's me mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. not them mm-hmm. so it's been a really deep practice in coming from an internal locus of control there you go. Which creates so much more compassion in my relationships with my husband, with my children, with my friendships. Yeah, um, mm. I have to share a little story. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a a woman that I was friends with in Boulder, and she was my first friend. And uh, I was so eager uh, to be, you know, liked and accepted and and you know it's hard transitioning to a new community so i was really into wanting to define my tribe or people um but she had a lot of her own things that she was working through and and after a couple years that relationship ended and it was difficult and i reflected back on that relationship many many times thinking how could i've done things differently cuz at that point i was still working on how to relate to people without letting my stories get in the way in creating separation. And um, just in the last week, we started emailing each other again and reconnecting in a way that is led by the heart and not by the ego. And it's it feels so good to be able to relate to her in a way where all those other separation mechanisms have fallen to the wayside because we're different people now. And so it's just a continual process of how art informs life and life informs art and um, just continually surrendering to remembering that I'm not perfect, Mm. you know, and that I have an opportunity to reconnect with people at any time. Through your authentic self. Through the authentic self. You know, I think I mentioned to you 
um, that dance has been a huge part of my life growing up. And it's probably one thing that I feel most comfortable and confident of anything that I express myself in, mm -hmm. in life. So I started off young where I took uh, modern jazz and tap lessons for many years when I was like seven through 13 or 14. And then I, w I was in the disco era. So <laughs> me and my buds, we would, we would go out every Friday night and Saturday night to, to the disco. And, and I always felt comfortable in that kind of dance. Um, but I remember fast forward to when we lived in Hawaii. So I was probably in my late thirties or mid thirties and, uh, rainbow was, was Xander at, at night. He was only a small child, like one years old. And I really was jonesing. So I went out to a, um, a dance club and it was the first time that I danced by myself mm. on a dance floor with a bunch of people watching. And I remember I had to get over the self-consciousness around that. And I hit a point where n nobody else existed and I was just there. And it was the most free expression that I experienced. Yes. And that expression of authenticity, it transferred into my life in ways of me being more authentic, of not really caring so much about how things was received by other people, more about how do I want to send it out? How do I want to express myself? Mm -hmm. Sure, I want my alignment to be there of truth, authenticity, compassion, but it was more about my expression. Mm -hmm. And I love to dance by myself, mm -hmm. you know, now like there's not this, this need for, for a partner or when Raymond and I are on the floor and all of a sudden she kind of breaks off to do her own thing and I break off to, to me that's around differentiation, mm -hmm. you know, a sense of having a, a sense of myself by still being connected. Mm -hmm. And I think dance really brings that of what kind of language are we having in this nonverbal communication, but can I still feel the sense of myself without losing myself? Because mm -hmm. I see people, sometimes they're dancing, they lose themselves mm -hmm in the other person mm -hmm. or they individuate too much as like, hey, are you even like tuned in to what the other person is doing? Yes. And yeah, that was a transformational moment oh, for me. Thank you for sharing. That's mm. so beautiful. And I think you nailed it for me as you were talking. I was feeling this sense of the importance of that first relationship is with self. And that's what I was missing. And I think many of us um, forget that or maybe weren't properly modeled that. I don't know. But there's so much growing up of this sense of needing to please and needing to do things right that it's easy to be become dissociated. And I know I was dissociated working so hard at perfection and so hard to please others and, and to fit into society in a way that um, is expected. And so by rooting deep inside of your body and listening to what your body is asking you to do or asking how I can show up in this world in the way of just freedom, freely expressing who I am through what I feel like wearing or how I feel like moving or dancing in front of people all by ourselves, you know, um, 
for me, that relationship with self has been so important in the line of self-care. If I am not right with myself, it is very hard for me to have a good exchange with my husband mm. or with my children. In fact, it's usually the first place that I get married back when I'm not in alignment, as you probably know, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So I do know that in that way, dance is so powerful and just providing ourselves self-care to be in the right and neutral and grounded place hmm. before taking any any energy out to anybody else. Can you also speak to when you use the expression of a sensory diet of how to understand what external energies that we're giving our energy to as opposed to more of our authentic diet that we want within ourselves. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, sure. That term sensory diet came from my occupational therapy days when I was a pediatric occupational therapist. And I worked with children um, who had sensory challenges or differences, autistic children, children with ADHD or ADD. And uh, we would look at how their body would respond to the environment. And we would work with the parents on how to help change certain things in the way they um, felt things, their rooms. We would change the lighting. We would change what kind of tactile experiences they would have to create a sensory diet to make a more harmonious and, um, and create more equilibrium in their day. And so that felt to me so important about how I also took in information from the environment. What am I listening to? Where am I going out? How am I nurturing my body energetically to where I can maintain as much harmony as possible? And dance is just one of those tools in creating harmony. And so, you know, I used to love horror movies. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Me too, man. It just does not... Yeah. It just did not feel good. And, and the same with watching certain types of news, you know. And so I've just been really discerning now about what I am ingesting energetically, knowing that it stays with you. It stays with you. And to cleanse and clear ourselves in a way where we can come back to balance so much about the sensory diet. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, the foods that we eat, how much lighter energy are we consuming through certain kinds of greens versus processed food? You know, I think a lot of people may come to this on their own, especially if they're tending to their energetic hygiene, mm. if they're tending to their sensory diet. I think it becomes natural when we become more embodied, when we start to pay attention to what feels good then it becomes a natural way of existing. Mm. You mm. know, it's, I mean, the where you live is a beautiful amalgamation of sensory diet. Mm. Your input of all this nature energy and the sounds of the water and the green that you see. Yeah. I mean, you have plopped yourself mm. in a beautiful sensory diet smorgasbord, yeah. you know? We're at the end of it mile and a half dirt road, there's not a lot of energy that's coming mm -mm. towards us, mm -mm. right? And when you look at um, indigenous cultures and the shamans, you know, they they do the same. They're out there um, to commune with nature and receive information in a way um, that 
discerns away um, extraneous sensory information. So mm. anyway. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. love that. What was coming to mind with, with me is there was a point just around the last few years of just feeling like my freedoms were being kind of constricted and and I loved, uh, I learned to remember this song by um, George Harrison, Give Me Love, Give Me Love. And there's there's a phrase where it says, um, uh, let me be free from birth. And there was, mm. that meant so much to me. I wanted to be free in so many ways. And I was singing it with my, I had my headphones on and I was listening to it while I was jumping on the trampoline. And when that first came out, my whole body wanted to just get it out, to get out. And I was crying when I was using those verses. And it just reminded me of of how much, even like some of the external stress, when I'm getting that out of my body, mm-hmm. I'm not letting it stay. And I'm letting that flow of, like you're saying, equilibrium come in. I felt, I felt cleansed after that. And, and I just think about that as, people that have a hard time thinking, well, I don't dance because I don't have rhythm or I don't, just the movement of expression, allowing mm-hmm. that to come out of not being um, self-centered, um, not self-centered, self-deprecating uh, or or the consciousness of how we're doing it as opposed to like you're saying, free to make the mistakes while we're moving. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. And I also love how you naturally let your body lead you to that. Mm-hmm. Using the sensory information that's co- was coming into you, and you and you paid attention, and I think that's one of the hardest things that I know it took me a while to really get into alignment with is paying attention to what my body was telling me. If my shoulders are up in my ears, and if I'm gritting my jaw while I'm sitting in my traffic, there's something not in alignment. If somebody is triggering me so easily, there's something not in alignment. Mm-hmm. So by just paying attention to my body and letting it lead me into, and you're right, it doesn't have to be dance. It could just mm-hmm. be jumping on a trampoline. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, this it, dance has just been the way it really comes through. But like for my husband, he loves to chase a ball. Racquetball, soccer, tennis. Mm -hmm. I think there's all different ways that our bodies have tried to find the way that works in our lifestyle to find that release. I think what I love most about the dance though, when you nailed it in your, what you were sharing with what you were listening to, I think emotion has its own frequency of release. So when we feel grief or happiness, each of those emotions carry its its own frequency that allows for a certain type of release in wherever it might feel stuck in our body. So grief is a big one. We all have grief. But when we listen to a specific song and we spontaneously start to cry, there's a release happening because of the alignment of the frequency of that song within our body and our emotions. Hmm. And then when you combine that with movement, movement, then you're actually helping that energy move. You know, yeah. I can sit and cry to a movie all day long, but when I'm moving mm-hmm. with it, something is different. Yeah. There's an alchemy that happens because you're moving energy and we're energetic mm-hmm. beings. So I believe wholeheartedly we were given these bodies to help with that release mm-hmm. and express and create and 
Oh my goodness. In all different ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's coming up for me when you're saying this, there were times where Rainbow and I, we experimented with how to work with conflict. Um, you know, we learned all kinds of skills of work through our conflict, but one that we, as we talked about before, we really came together around movement and dance is that instead of processing through verbiage, mm -hmm. we would process it through a dance. And there were times where I just wanted her to just witness more of my emotion, what I was feeling, and not have her thoughts or feelings come up. So I would either, usually I would put some music on. I remember I put on um, Elton John's Sorry Seems to Be the Hardest Word. And I danced to, to that expression of what I was feeling towards our conflict around it. And she just had tears. It was like we were communicating and we processed our conflict through that movement. And it was, it was so incredible. We didn't have to process it verbally afterwards. You know what I love about what you're saying? It comes down to, for me, the stories just don't matter. Mm. Sometimes. Sometimes they don't. They just don't matter. Yeah. And I, so much of my language these days has been about frequency and energy and knowing what feels good and then knowing what fe doesn't feel good and when things don't feel good, how do we move our energy back into feeling um, back to wholeness? And I don't know how much words are necessary. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the written word. I love the spoken word. I'm a wordsmith myself, so I love words. But sometimes um, we can be so hard on ourselves with the stories that we tell, and so hard on ourselves with the language that we use. Um, so I'm really into using words as empowerment with the language, um, with the movement, with the dance, which is why songs are so important. Mm. And the music that we listen to is so important. Man, you know, Rainbow put that attention to me. Sometimes I just, from familiarity, I would be singing this song and she's like, why do you want to put those words out? I'm like, what words? <laughs> you know, and they're breakup words or some stupid. And I'm like, you're right. Like, I don't like these words, yeah. but I'm so used to that song or that rhythm. Mm -hmm. Instead of expressing and singing along with what I want to manifest in my life, what I want to have in my life. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The sermon around that, I think is so important. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you to talk more about touching in some of your work in prison. I think sure. that that's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. So I work for a nonprofit called Dance To Be Free. It was founded in 2015 by Lucy Wallace, who was my dance teacher when I started dancing in Boulder. And she, uh, through another student who suggested, hey, why don't you take this work into prisons because there was so much release happening. There was so much healing happening in those classes. And, and that's what she did, <clears throat> excuse me. So I started joining her on some of these visits to prison and we would just take what we do in, in these classes and, and just take it to the women in prison. And eventually it morphed into teaching these women to do the dance that we do using choreograph movement, cathartic choreograph movement, specific songs, and teaching these women how to become instructors inside the prison. 
So then they could hold classes where they are breathing together, moving together, dancing, and releasing all that stuck energy inside of their bodies and doing that together in the same powerful way that we've been doing them in our classes. And so now that's what we do. And we're, I think we're in well over, I want to say 18 prisons now, Mississippi, Virginia, Tennessee, North Dakota, South Dakota. Um, What is some of the feedback that you get for the population there? Like, how are they, how are they changing the way that they relate to each other? It's incredible. They, a lot of these prisons don't have um, access to rehabilitative programs or somatic programs. Um, They have other programs, but the somatics piece where you're actually addressing emotion without needing to talk about the trauma, um, that is rare. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when we started first bringing them this program, it created um, a lot of tears, a lot of release. We, in addition to the dancing, we do journaling programs. Um, And for the first time, they felt freedom inside of their bodies in a very restrictive, oppressive environment. And that's why she called it Dance to be Free because it was in these short one hour sessions, once or twice a week, whatever the prison would allow, they actually could address what was stuck in their bodies. They could Mm. address their traumas in a group, cohesive, joyful way. And then it also taught them leadership skills. It is teaching them how to create community inside the prison and where, if you do research and how some of the most successful rehabilita- rehabilitative prison systems, like in Norway and in Finland, it is about creating community, right, and giving yeah. purpose so that they can reintegrate back into society, feeling that they have purpose. Yeah. And so that is the vision of Dance to Be Free to help them reclaim their value and their self worth. Mm through movement and dance. And and so um, it is active and alive in many of these prisons. We go back and retrain because there is a high turnover, not just in prison staff, but in inmates. And so to keep it alive, we have to keep going back and um, check in with them and provide encouragement and motivation because you can imagine what it is to live inside of a prison. Yeah. I understand you've done work in prisons too so yeah you know. yeah i did i st- was teaching some um relationship uh uh awareness um in swananoa prison mm-hmm. women's prison i did more to to the women than mm-hmm. i did to men so i'm curious what you you're thinking about venturing into also men's prisons to to do this lucy already has <laughs> what do you think is going to be the difference do you think there's going to be a difference of relating to men in this way as opposed to women? You know, I think in the beginning there was a belief that it would be more challenging or or um, more restrictive, but Lucy has just started going into men pres- men's prisons in the last six months, and what she's found uh, is an explosive desire and need for men to want to express themselves in this way. 
There's there has been so much toxicity in their lives. And to find the freedom to touch that part of themselves, that emotional part of themselves with permission has been like opening the floodgates. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that there there isn't some challenge, you know, because anybody with trauma, there's gonna be some aspect that's gonna create, um, that you're gonna see an expression of that toxicity. But overall, I would say, I would say 95% of her work with the men has been absolutely profoundly healing. Mm -hmm. And they are actually growing at a, an exponential, exponential rate, those classes that these men are holding, it's growing quicker, faster, because they haven't had anything like this before. And I believe in the New York Times, there was a piece not too long ago, a few weeks, maybe about a month ago, about dance and arts expression in men's prisons. And so mm -hmm. it's it's happening. And so it's not just dance, it's, it's theater expression. They're having whole productions um, where men can just express and tap into that creative, softer side. And um, did you know Corey would go into the prisons and do didgeridoo? I think he's shared that with me before. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It he is. went to Buncombe County. Yes. Yeah. It's just, I think, and that's, I think, you know, not to harp too much about um, arts and schools, but I do know that arts is so, such a deep needed healing modality um, for everybody. Mm -hmm. For everybody. Yeah. Not just people in prison. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, so I, I think it's just going to continue to grow. Mm. Dance to be free with men and women. And um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to continue that work. Is there any other realms that you see this going? Like any other ideas that you have of developing ways to to engage people in, in this beautiful healing work? Um, you mean in dance? Yeah. Through dance? Sure. I. I have ideas with workshops and um, I do workshops on a regular basis, um, addressing the elemental energies that live inside of our bodies and how they coincide with specific emotion. So for example, I work a lot in my classes, um, for example, with metal energy. And metal energy is all about the sharpness, the aggressive nature, the masculine nature, but it's also empowerment. And so through metal and seeing how it's connected to anger and what does healthy anger, and I know you've talked about this in your podcast before, what does healthy anger look like as it creates boundaries and discernment versus the reactive anger. So I think there's a lot of room and a lot of people are already doing this work. Again, when we follow the energy, it just shows up mm -hmm. that kind of work and how we can reach out to people and connect with people. I was at a concert last night, randomly met a woman from DC and I felt like I was talking to myself in the mirror. Mm. She was doing the same kind of work, the same kind of dance, different name, same kind of outreach. So I think it's just naturally bubbling and showing up as we continue to wake up to mm. what our body and our emotions and our frequencies are showing us to do. What would you offer to people that feel very conscious about, I don't have rhythm or I can't dance, right? They mm -hmm. always say, I can't dance, whatever that freaking means, I can't yeah. dance. What do you offer them in ways of 
mindset or or exercises to be able to free that that mm-hmm. limiting belief? That's a beautiful question. I think the first thing is allowing us to not get it right. I think the story. I'll just speak for myself. At least the story for so long is I have to get it right. If I dance, I have to do it like that other person. Um, or let's even talk about going to school for any reasons. Oh, I have to go to school for this reason and I have to get it right. I think so much of how we learn about ourselves is actually about getting it wrong. Mm. And so when we give permission to ourselves to get it wrong and to not have to have it look like anybody else and to embrace our own uniqueness and to feel that love for our own uniqueness, I think it has to start there. So if a person really wants to dance, and but they are afraid of their internal, you know, self-judgment, then maybe just start with movement. Don't call it dance. Mm-hmm. Call it movement. And I would start with the elements. Move like water. What does it feel like to move like water? Mm. And just move like water. Put on a song that feels flowy. So put on something that, first of all, that you really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And to just Move. And what about the difference between closed eyes or open eyes? What, what is that for you of that that exploration? Mm-hmm. It's funny because lately more and more I close my eyes when I dance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my classes, we do a lot of um, eye gazing at the end of my classes. I used to dance with a mirror when I worked at the Y. And I loved the mirror for the feedback because we would get into clumps in the middle of a song and move as one unit. And I appreciated the feedback of being able to see ourselves as one beautiful movement. Mm. So I think there is a benefit to understanding how synchronization really feeds our soul and really feeds the oneness. So there is something to be said about seeing with open eyes how we can move together in a unit. But there's also a sense that we get in in OT, we would call it proprioceptive sense, or I'm sure massage therapists and other therapists understand what that means. And it's knowing where your body is in space. And so when we let go of the external reality by closing our eyes and just dancing with your movement in the frequency in your body, that's a whole different type of feedback. I find value in both of them equally. And I feel like there's a wholeness that's created when you can do both. Mm -hmm. So maybe if there's folks out there that um, don't want to or have a struggle with connecting with the the how it looks, then just close your eyes and stay with how it feels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, start there. Mm -hmm. And I think the ecstatic dance community and the the five rhythms and all the free dance movement really speak to that. When I dance in that way, I dance a lot with closing my eyes and every now and then peeking, making sure I don't hit anybody or run into people, but there's so much freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just staying with that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love both too. But when I'm dancing with Rainbow, I love just really looking at her. Mm-hmm. I, I There's a sense of like all of a sudden this beautiful tunnel vi- vision. But if I all of a sudden look away for a moment just to, I don't know, get some spatial aspect, I lose this beautiful flow connection. Mm. So it's really special when we can just stay there, just eyes locked while we're moving. Yes, I find that our movements are more synchronistic when we're doing that. And it's not from the, the mind copycat. It's more just of the synchronicity. And we talked a little bit about there's certain frequencies like low theta, 
stage where that creates more synchronicity. Mm. And if I am more synchronicity with her, synchronistic, then my communication is going to be more synchronistic. My level of, of emotional connection, mm. the sinking of our mm -hmm. ourselves and coherence and entrainment. Yeah, it's just so, it's a wonderful thing, I think, to do with people that we're connected with. And as we, some people that experience, I've experienced it, total strangers, mm -hmm. to be able to have that kind of connection and not know anything about this person whatsoever, to have that connection with them in a safe environment. Yes, it's incredible. I love that. And so I get goosebumps just you talking about that. So thank you for that. Mm. And just, I, I imagine a space when we can just connect with people in that way, you know, without our stories and our titles and our masks, just what a beautiful union of harmony. And I think that's why people do love these kinds of dance spaces. And and I just want to touch on what you were mentioning about the eye gazing. And, you know, there's so much, I think, mirror neurons happening too. And there have been studies about the benefits of synchronous movement and feeling the oneness and feeling that energetic infusion. And then it just feels like love. Mm. It just feels like love. And I think, honestly, that's really what we're going for in my classes is finding that union of energy in a high state of emotion, whether it's joy, gratitude, love, excitement, freedom, ecstasy. Oh my goodness, if we can just get to that point, that's my whole goal in my classes. And sometimes at the end, if there's time and I'm feeling the energetic pull, we will get in pairs and we will eye gaze. And they, I, when I first started eye gazing, I did not like it. Oh my goodness, talk about discomfort. Mm. But then it was such a beautiful reflection for me at my own, where, where my body wasn't quite in alignment and because of whatever judgment I may be having and looking at somebody else directly in their eyes. But I've healed from that. Mm. And now I just love eye gazing because there is an entrainment of energy that happens. And like you said, you have a little movement with that. And next thing you know, you're dancing with the divine. Yeah, You're dancing in the flow. Yeah. So thank you for bringing yeah. us to that place. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for hopping on it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think there's also something that what I'm making up in my mind is people also have had experience with dance where it's been like a sexual energy or some aggression around it or mm -hmm. uh hunting energy, prey and hunting. Mm -hmm. And my experience is that we can have empowerment with that. You can put boundaries around when you're gazing in a way that lets the other person know where you're at and where the, um, the point of pivot is gonna be. Absolutely. And so we don't necessarily have to move away from it. There's a way that we can stay in our own sense of self. And I think it's also a good self-discipline for some people to recognize and pick up. Are they putting out an energy and have discernment that's not appropriate being met? There's so many ways to do that. And if they're picking up some of the nonverbal cues around that. That's so powerful. Yeah. That's pure embodiment. Mm -hmm. For me, like if you sense into, and you, and you, you pay attention and you honor what it is that you're feeling, and know, oh, this does not feel right. And and then empowering yourself, as you just said, to make a choice 
about whether you want to continue in that frequency or if you want to shift it and taking care of yourself and not abandoning yourself mm. and making that choice and making that discernment. It's true, I have been to dance spaces where I could feel energy and I would just take care of myself if I need to move to another side of the room, I will do that. It's just all information or what my friends and I like to say, data collection. Mm -hmm. This data collection for sensory diet, for mm -hmm. self-care and really understanding the flow of energy and how it moves in a room and how it moves and informs your own body. So that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh. And that informs the relationship then. Take that, put it inside your home. Mm. And how does that feel in your, you know, and it, 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 for me, it's even come down to not feeling the energy of the television. Let's just cover that up. Mm -hmm. not feeling the energy of the flow of the flow of this furniture you know it's everywhere that's feng shui right you know so it's applicable to everything yeah that's why embodiment for me is so so important mm -hmm. yeah people don't really get that understanding of what embodiment is in that way mm -hmm. you know if we are walking through space and time in an embodied energetic way then when we're either interacting with a live being or the sofa, we we still have a sense of ourselves that we feel uh, feel the energy of ourselves, and we can take that, and we can take that whether it's with more um, confidence in the way that we want to express who we are, or I know for me there's times of being able to lay back and receive more, yeah. and I think that that's. Being a therapist, and there's a lot of that opening container and receiving, but any even receiving can be active. Yes. It doesn't have to just be you're pouring your shit onto me and I've got to take it or filter it. Like there could be such a meeting of that in an energetic way, and I'm learning more and more of how to do that authentically, and it feels fantastic to be able to do that. I love that, Prepo. Mm -hmm. We talk about receiving so much because we're actually, I'll just... I'll be bold and put out a statement, but most of us are not good at receiving. Yeah. At all. Mm -hmm. So this embodiment is a good practice in yeah. learning how to receive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge proponent of appreciation, and that's why I love doing the, the podcast with your husband, Fred, around gratitude. Yeah. But with appreciation, what I really learned was it's really challenging to fully receive it. Mm -hmm. Like to, I, when I get an appreciation, when I, when I had to learn to get it, I had to breathe it in, literally, really take it in to like, it's like, yes, you know, give it to me. Because for me, it's, it's similar to what I imagine the organ of the heart. It takes in enough blood in order to pump out. It doesn't take it in and hoard it or it's gonna explode or it doesn't just pour it out or it's gonna be depleted. Mm -hmm. It's a cycle of giving and receiving. So in order to be a really, really good giver, you got to be a really, really good receiver. Absolutely. In order to be a really, really good receiver, you got to be a really, really good giver. There's Absolutely. no difference. Absolutely. Yes, I was just having this conversation um, with a sweet group of people the other day, and a woman was talking about, you know, how can I let go of my judgment? Like I, I'm constantly judging, and I know that's not who I am, and it's so hard. Like, how? Why? And what do I need to do? And the first question that was asked to her by somebody in the group was, 
well, how well do you receive? You know, how well do you let others? And usually the, the response immediately is, oh, I, I, I don't receive well. I'm great at giving. I just don't receive well. Um, so yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I think for us to be, um, to have compassion for ourselves is a form of receiving. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Because that compassion will really tame the shame that most people feel. Yes. Because that's the part of the judgment that we have of ourselves, but we're not having enough compassion in order to be able to even show up and take accountability in areas that we need to change. The shame just, just, um, it buries the, the sense of self. Yes. Yeah. And for me, that looked a lot like anger. I had a, a lot of, um, that was my biggest teacher, is, was my anger because I knew who I was, but I would have these reactive flashes of anger. I'm like, where is this coming from? And it was because I didn't know how to receive, mm. to allow people to you know, bring me something or say kind things to me or um, yeah, to just to do anything for me. It just felt, and, and part of that I have learned having just come back from Japan, which is part of my ancestral history, um, a lot of that is cultural. Exactly. And so I've been reconciling that, like, mm-hmm. oh, that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm happy to say that um, the compassion has come in and my anger has dissipated. Mm. And it's such a powerful medicine and practice to receive. So I highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> and just receiving these little things in the moment as opposed to the expectation that we think that we really want to receive. Because then we, for me, there's a experience, if I'm too focused on a certain expectation that turns into a resentment, I'm not even aware of all these other little micro things that <sighs> I should be receiving in the moment. And then it will take away my resentment because I'm waiting for this thing to happen. Goodness. You know, yeah. I want this person to apologize, but I'm not seeing and receiving even their kindness or their effort. I just want that apology. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Man, those triggers, they're really good for us. Yeah. They really are. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's in the last couple of years, I've been really focusing on where I get triggered and where it is I'm not receiving. Mm-hmm. And it's been um, quite an eye-opening experience, and I will say that it really always come back comes back to compassion, self-compassion for me, and letting go of expectation of myself mm-hmm. as well as others. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I love this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you because I'm receiving all that you're expressing and, and offering to us. I really appreciate you making the time to to come all the way out to my home studio and, and meeting Rainbow and, mm-hmm. and having this conversation. We had a kind of a brief conversation before to, at a communal gathering and now to get to know you even more, it's really sweet. Oh, it's the pleasure is all mine. Mm. I received mm. and um, thank you so much. It's been quite a portal, portal to be here with you. Mm. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Cool. Before we go, is there anything that you want people, I'll have it in my show notes of how they can contact you or anything, but is, is there anything that you want people to know what you're up to and if they want to get hold of you? Oh, sure. I would love to dance with anybody that feels compelled to want to dance and feel and express with me. Um, experience doesn't matter. I tell everybody to get it wrong. In fact, I get it wrong quite often. 
And uh, there's more coming out of the Soul Power Factory, I would say, workshops on embodiment through the elements and uh, a new form of, of a dance offering that requires less um, choreography and more freedom and flow, but connecting to our own divine within. And um, and yes, please check out dancetobefree.org. It's such a powerful offering to our incarcerated brothers and sisters out there. It really, it really is a wonderful way to um, um, feel some more unity. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Risa. Yeah. Relationships, Let's Talk About It, is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit prepo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice.